Oh, I'm interrupting some conversations. That's too bad. Praise the Lord. It is good to see everyone. Let's try that again. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is good to be at Grace Church here this morning. If you're joining us on live stream, thank you so much. We believe that the Lord will enrich your life and change you if you will allow him. Good to see all of you here this morning. Shake the person's hand next to you. Say hello. Praise the Lord. Good to see you. We have a few announcements this morning. Tuesday, October 18th, this upcoming Tuesday, we will have morning prayer at 10 a.m. in this sanctuary. Please be here if you're able to. On Saturday, October 22nd, there will be Ranch Day at Boys Lighthouse Ranch in Laranja, Louisiana. If you're able to make it, that will certainly be a wonderful experience for you. And on October 29th, from 4 to 7, I'm really looking forward to this. We will have family night outside, and there will be an annual chili cook-off. Right. That's what I'm talking about. I'm happy to see all you folks, but I want some chili. Praise the Lord. Please bring your lawn chairs and your drinks. I love the Lord this morning. God is good, and I want him to know that I know that. Can you stand to your feet this morning and lift your voices and your hands to the Lord? God bless you.
blessing to you today. Thank the Lord. And uh, we appreciate you coming. Thank the Lord. I misspoke Wednesday night. Uh, this past Wednesday night, I started a, a new Bible study series, The Principle of the Path. And uh, it would be wonderful if everybody that's here today would show up on Wednesday nights to hear that. It would be a wonderful thing. It'd be good for, for you to do that. Uh, but I misspoke this past Wednesday night that we would continue that this coming Wednesday night. We're not. And the reason for that is we're having youth service in the sanctuary this coming Wednesday night, and you're going to be hearing from our young people this coming Wednesday night. Amen. So encourage everybody to be here Wednesday night to hear that. I think we have four of our young people speaking Wednesday night. You do not want to miss that. It is going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. Also want to make a, an appeal here this morning. Uh, we need some nursery help, and uh, to do that, you need to go through uh, all of our membership, of course, Grace Steps, and also our, our, our leadership class. If you've done that and would like to help us in the nursery on Sunday mornings, we would certainly, certainly appreciate it. And if you can, uh, you can talk to Sister Landry in the uh, church office about that. Thank the Lord. I believe heaven is a real place. I don't believe God is lying to all of us about the tremendous promise of heaven that when you die, you just don't go anywhere. Nothing happens. I believe God is telling the truth when he talks about heaven, and I believe it's our job and it's our duty to promote that as much as possible, being that there's not a lot of options otherwise. And... Uh, I want to go to heaven today. I want to go to heaven and uh, I want to be a part, be with those that have heard, well done. Um, I have something very happy to announce uh, this morning uh, in, in light of our, our live stream ministry. A lot of people just use that to stay home and I'm too tired to go to church, so I'll just watch live stream at home. Everybody admits it's not the same. But there's a lady that I know 
I believe she's either 100 or 101. 101. She has family that lives in New Orleans. And Brother Jonathan Adams, when we first booted up live stream ministry, I met this lady uh, that lives in New Orleans. Her name is Rosemary. Her husband is Brian. And uh, met her, I believe it was at a funeral. And she told me, she said, I am so thankful for y'all's live stream ministry. They, again, they live in New Orleans. And... Um, she said, we're not able to, to get out of our house hardly ever. Now, this has been several years ago. And um, we started watching live stream on our computer. And then my husband bought a television that you could play live stream through it. And uh, she said, every Sunday morning, told me this a number of years ago, every Sunday morning we get up and get dressed for church. We dress just like we're going to church. And we go sit in our living room with our Bibles. And we watch live stream at Grace Church every Sunday morning. Rosemary passed away this week. And uh, we're, uh, we've had others that have watched live stream faithfully pass away. So now this sweet lady has as well. And I'd like for us to pray that for that family. I want Brian to know that now that we know this, she will be missed as a part of our live stream audience every Sunday morning. I want to tell everybody here today, we need to thank God every day, every day we're up and alive that we're able to get ourselves to the house of God when the doors are open. We need to thank God. Amen. And if you're, if you're able to do that and don't come, I hope you remember people like this that would like to have come but couldn't get out the door. I want Sister Teeny Coon Williams to know that we're praying for her and her family in New Orleans today, that God would certainly comfort them through this time of loss. And, um, and I know God, God will. Rosemary, you'll be missed. God bless you today. Jada, may I speak to you today while y'all remain standing just for a moment. While they were singing that wonderful, amazing song about heaven, I don't mean to be morbid here this morning, but I just felt an inspiration, and I'm going with it. Um, my brother's Tom Murphy, um, his great-granddaughter, uh, right after she was born, just developed a lot of physical and mental mental issues, and, and she passed away. I think she was four years old when she passed away. Of course, we went to the funeral, and her pastor preached that funeral that day and said that, God has guaranteed her a miracle of healing. And it kind of threw everybody for a moment. She's, she's not even alive anymore. How can that be? And he talked about a pre-tragedy miracle where people are born without any, uh, anything wrong. They're totally healthy. Everything's good about them. And so that's a pre-tragedy miracle. And then there's people that has a mid-tragedy miracle. When something does happen to them, God heals them. But then there's the post-tragedy miracle, and that's when God heals you after all these things happen. And uh, he said, of course, this sweet little girl, four years old, did not get to embrace or experience any of these things. But she has experienced a post-tragedy miracle in heaven. 
She got her miracle there. I want to encourage you today to keep your focus on heaven. I know you want healing. I know your family wants you to be healed. But if you'll focus on heaven, you know for a fact, according to the scripture, when you get there, you won't need a miracle anymore. You will be a miracle and everything's going to be amazing. Keep your focus on heaven. Is that okay? You good with that? I love Jada. I love Jada. Amen. She's an inspiration to me in so many ways. And I, I want to call her a little girl. She's not a little girl, but I love that little girl. But you get the point. <clears throat> All right, let's switch gears. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 10. I want to preach to everybody here in the building. Let me ask you a question today. Do you, do you believe in heaven? Everybody believes in heaven? Do you believe you're going? You believe it's possible there's people here today that's not going? That's probably wasn't a fair question, but it's reality nonetheless. I want to go a little bit down that path here today. Actually, a whole lot down that path. 2 Kings chapter 5, and Elisha... Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, that is Naaman, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, he was angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought. Behold, I thought. He would surely come out to me. Elisha would come out to me and stand. And call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and far, far rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but, the, but, the, uh, but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. I want to speak to you for a little while today. My way or his way? Still want to go to heaven? Wasn't quite as boisterous that time as it was the other time I asked that question. I want to go to heaven. And I have to understand if I want to go to heaven, I'm going to have to go his way. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing and God bless you. You may be seated. The famous Frank Sinatra song, I'm sure everybody has heard it, I Did It My Way. The name of the song technically is My Way, but the words of it is I Did It My Way. <clears throat> this originated as a French song. The French translation means as usual. So it came from a French song. The French version of it tells the story of a man living out the end of his marriage, love killed by the boredom of everyday life. 
Paul Anka discovered this song while visiting in France and rewrote the lyrics as My Way when he returned back to New York. Anka, who was a very popular singer himself, pitched the song to Frank Sinatra, who recorded it on December the 30th, 1968. Anka's lyrics changed the meaning to be about a man looking back fondly on a life he lived on his own terms. I did it my way. There's an inside out to that doing things my way, and I want to talk to you about that this morning. Day after day, we are confronted with a vast array of options. So many options that sometimes it makes your head spin. Sister Murph and I go down this path nearly every single day. What do you want for lunch? The biggest problem we're not real ambitious and what have you when it comes to exploring restaurants. So through the years, we'll pick two or three and then go to that restaurant and pick the same thing to eat every time. And we're burnt out with it, bottom line. Now we don't know where to go and what to do. So we go through this process nearly every day. We're all faced with all kinds of options every day of our life. We often conclude that when it comes to options, that I'll choose what I believe to be the best options for me, and I will live my life that way. Does anybody relate to what I'm saying here today? There are actually people here today that have their very own private interpretation of the Bible. And you self-determine in your own mind what is what has been called, developed through the past number of years, what are heaven or hell issues in the Bible. And we interpret ourselves what we believe is heaven or hell issues when it comes to things that we should do pleasing to God. And of course, all of those things has to do with things that we want to do anyway. So it just so happens that we can bend the Bible just a little bit in one direction or the other to make it conform to what we want to do. I believe, especially in our American modern-day culture, we have reached the same place that the people that lived in the book of Judges reached when it says numerous times in the book of Judges that they did that which was right in their own eyes. And we're, we're good with that. I'll make up my own mind, and we're good with that. So in our everyday life, as I just expressed about Sister Murph and I's plight when it comes to lunch, we all have options in what we eat. We have options in what we wear. We have options in what we listen to and what we watch. We have options in what we drive, what we do, and what we think. It would be interesting if some statistician would figure out how many options the American, the average American is presented with on a daily basis. It would be interesting to know what that is. I'm sure the number would no doubt be mind-boggling. But it wasn't always like this, especially in America. 
When Henry Ford began selling the Model T, he was known to have said, you can have it in any color you want as long as it's black. And when you look at the old grainy photographs of that earlier time, you'll see crowds of men standing there in the same bowler hats and the same dark Charlie Chaplin style suits. Back then, there just wasn't nearly as many options as there is now. As individuals today, we can do things that former generations could not even dream of. Obviously, we've grown accustomed to our options. We like to buy cars with the options on it that we want. And we're often frustrated when it offers options that we can't afford. So we've grown accustomed, we've grown accustomed to our, our options and are used to thinking in an optional way. We all have optional ways of thinking. Everything has options, right? Things we buy here for the church, there's options. There's options, all this stuff up here. There's options, all the stuff back there in the media booth. There's options everywhere, options. We have options for even people that can do certain things. We can pick and choose what people can do, which and this and that, and what people are willing but to do this or that and what have you. We're, we're loaded with options every single day of our lives, and we all know it's true. If it's true today, there's going to probably be a handful, especially of our lady folks that stood in your closet this morning, trying to decide what you're going to wear. If there was only one outfit hanging in that closet, it would have been a whole lot simpler, wouldn't it? You don't have to agree. It's true. So what happens to us, being that we've developed this optional way of thinking about everything, so whenever our options become limited by some force or some voice outside of ourselves, we have a tendency to become dismayed and annoyed and even angry. We all like our options, and our attitude pretty much is don't mess with our options. It's not surprising since we've grown so accustomed to such an optional way of thinking that the words of Jesus would be and have been called into question by some people. For as he speaks about what he came to do in the lives of men and women, he gives absolutely no options. I'm in the book today. Jesus said quite clearly, and you'll notice it on the screen, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, cometh unto the Father, but by me. I take that quite literal. Now there's people here today that doesn't. You still think there's options. When the Bible doesn't give any options, you think there is. You believe there is. There's people here today that have convinced themselves 
that really and truly deep down, Pastor, there's a whole lot of options about living for God that the Bible's been secret about. Because I know when I stand before God, God's going to open up this other book that somehow me and him have this agreement with and everything is going to be okay. Folks, I just keep hearing it. I keep hearing it. It's not just church people. It's pastors. There's pastors that just believe they can change it. And all due respect, and you go back on your history and research what I'm, I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is not Bible. It's history. We've become Catholic in our thinking. Through the years... Catholic people are taught, I've researched it myself, that the Pope can change the Bible. He can present a thought to the cardinals, and they vote, and they have changed it systematically through the years. And we've developed, in Pentecostal ranks at least, and in a lot of more denominations, that same train of thought, that if I want to, I can change it. The Bible is very clear on changing Scripture. That if you take it out, then torment's going to be added to you in the lake of fire. So it's not surprising that when we have grown so accustomed to an optional way of thinking that the words of Jesus would be called into question. Even the Apostle Peter backed it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Neither is there salvation. And any other, there's nowhere else you can find salvation. There's no other way that you can find salvation outside of Jesus. There is only one God, the Bible teaches, and there is only one way to reach eternity with Him, the Bible teaches. I'm sure that most of us believe this, but... As we view it from the context of our option-based lifestyles, it's a little unsettling. For not only do we like our options, but we like to think that our neighbors have their options too. In America, everybody gets to vote. In America, everybody gets to live his life, and he gets to choose. <clears throat> it's amazing to me that... Even the subject of abortion comes under the banner of a choice. You get to choose. It's a choice. It has nothing to do with anything else outside of a choice. So we're accustomed. Our media has taken us down this path. I, in, our, in our current environment, it's just not cool to even think that there's not options. It's it's not cool to think that it's not inclusive and it's not worldly. It's, it's not being open-minded. You, you can't not be optional. Is everybody on board with me today yet? What if, would you be surprised if I told you that this reaction to our very specific God is by no means unique to our time? In the scripture setting I just read, this is in the Old Testament, and it, there was a man in the Old Testament times who lived and thought in the same optional way that we think. He was exceedingly powerful, exceedingly rich, 
He was famous. He was popular. If you had all that going for you like he did, no matter what era of time you lived in, a world full of options would be open to you and you would find it quite easy to say, I can have life my way. He had servants to carry out his every wish. His name was Naaman. He was a general and commander of the army of the kingdom known as Aram, which was to the north of Israel. And as a commander, Naaman served with distinction, praised by his people and lauded by his king. So from a worldly point of view, General Naaman had everything. General Naaman had everything, everything except good health. It would seem that man can have everything he's ever wanted. He can have a life overflowing with options. But all of those options can be taken away from him just by one thing, his own mortality. The prospects of a terminal illness and the death that inevitably follows has a way of limiting one's options down to none. There will always come that point. There will always, there will always come that point in everyone's life when there's nothing more that can be done. I'm not here to be morbid, just here to be real. And I have stood at the bedside of more people than I can remember right now when they were at that point. And it is amazing how things that were so important and vital a year ago, five years ago, means nothing now. Nothing. I just, just wish everybody could just get their head around this. It would move you to a place of spirituality you never dreamed of. It was in this position that our man Naaman found himself. He had leprosy. That dreaded disease of ancient times, what made the disease so horrible is it would first shut down the blood vessels in your extremities and then with slow and steady cadence, it would march towards your vital organs and eventually it would take your life. This was one battle that the proud general could not win. But all was not truly lost for in his household was a young servant girl from Israel who had been captured and put in service of Naaman's wife. And this slight little slave could not contain herself to her mistress. She said, if only my master would go and see the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy, the Bible said. The utter certainty with which she talked coupled with the fact that Naaman had no other options he had no other options. He had no other options. So he went to talk to Elisha. My heart is so full here today. The prophet of, in Samaria of whom the young girl had spoken again was Elisha, the representative of the one true God, the God who created the, the earth and all the people in it. The meeting of Naaman and with Elisha 
is almost exactly like a modern-day American meeting up with Jesus. It's the classic confrontation, and it goes on with people in every church all across this country every single Sunday. It's a classic confrontation. The powerful option man. Option man. The powerful option man singing the old Burger King jingle. Have it your way. Have it your way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. Y'all remember that? Y'all don't. But all of you do. Especially the back row old people. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> It must have really been a sight to behold. Naaman should have come to God's prophet on his knees, but he didn't. He came with all the glory and power that he could muster. Look who has come to you, Elisha. You're the one that needs to feel honored. He used all of his political clout he could muster. He had his king write the king of Israel, bringing with him about ten talents of silver, which, depending on the market at the time, was about $182,000. He brought with him 6,000 pieces of gold, $2,390,000 worth. This man brought with him a little over two and a half million dollars to the prophet. So he used not only his political clout because he was a general, now he's using his monetary clout. And then, of course, he used his military power because when he arrived at the house of Elisha, it was full of military pomp and ceremony. There were horses and chariots and all of that. If that were to happen in our day, he would pull up in a Humvee with general's flags attached to the fender. He would have his secret service. He would have military with him. He would have everything, everything you might could imagine. He had all the money. He had all the power. He had everything he needed to move Elisha and make Elisha understand that you're fixing to go talk to the powerful option man. Naaman. Had it all going on. I am so impressed with what Elisha did. I am just moved with what Elisha did. You know what he did? Nothing. He doesn't even come out to meet him. Elisha was not being rude. He was actually saying something. He was conveying a message. We understand when you study the Bible that God's prophets usually communicated with words, but they also sometimes communicated with their action. And here he was communicating to Naaman that the creator of all things and the Lord of all the universe is not impressed with you. That was the message. That is really the first step for anyone who wishes to be helped by Jesus admitting 
that he is greater than you. Admitting that he might know a little more than you. Admitting that what he says goes and not what you say. In other words, the only posture that is acceptable when approaching your creator is humility. Not pride, not personal glory, but humility. And this message was reinforced by what Naaman was told to do. Elisha didn't come out, but he sent his messenger out to him. He sent his glorified servant, if you would, to go out to him and tell the general to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And as you might expect, the powerful option man said, I don't want to do it. didn't take the news too well. I mean, what kind of nonsense is this? I wanted Elisha to come out and wave his hands over me, but instead he tells me to go that I must wash in that disgusting, muddy Jordan River. We've got better rivers back home. Why can't I go wash in one of them? Options. I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it Like any proud man who's accustomed to an optional way of life, he starts rattling off what he thinks about his option, what his option should be, and he's angry. And the prophet didn't seem to be taking them into account. And in his anger, he was ready to walk away. I think the same thing happens whenever anyone is pointed to the cross of Christ. The Christian gospel says, if you won't help with your soul and many, many other things in your life, if you won't help, if what you have going on in your life has been limited and you can't use all of your options to help yourself, if you want to come to Jesus, to the only one who shed his blood, sorrow and pain and all of that, then repent of your sin Turn away from those sins. And most times in American culture and even here at Grace Church, people don't want to do that. I want what God has for me, but I don't want to give up sinning in order to get it. It's like I've mentioned for the past several Sundays, manna is from everybody, but you got to get out of your tent to get it. Nobody's going to bring it to you. Don't work that way. Repent and believe in him. And many times people don't recall or they don't react to that too well. That's, that's disgusting. How can this help me? They wonder, isn't there some other way for me to be helped? Some great deed I can perform. Some great quest I can make. Because of the optional way that we're trained to think. The way that God has chosen to help humanity is just not appealing enough anymore. Because God's way requires humility and repentance. And we don't want to do that. I want to do it my way. But in Naaman's case, his servants prevailed. Once again, they stepped up to the plate. They said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it without question. 
But here's, here's what he's asking. He's asking you to do something simple, which is all the more reason you ought to do it. It's simple. It don't take but a few minutes, and it's over. And with their simple reasoning, they convinced him. And he went to the Jordan River and dumped himself seven times. And on the seventh time, he came out, and it was like his skin was that of a little young little boy. It's amazing what happens when you obey, obey what the Word of God says. So in our text, we're told that he comes back to Elisha, and this time Elisha comes out to see him, and I think the general has a different attitude here. I think he's had a change of attitude. He's, he feels quite humbled about his healing, and Naaman says, and I quote, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. The option man confesses faith in the one and only real God. And that was the real healing. Not just leprosy, that was a secondary healing. The real healing is when you say, there's nobody else that can save me. There's nobody else that can help me. There's nobody else that can help me through the day and with my life. And nobody else can do that. That's the real healing that happens in somebody's mind. And it needs to happen here today. It needs to happen. It must happen here today. A lost soul meeting his true creator and then acknowledging him as such. A similar thing happens when people in our time come to know Jesus like the, the, the prophet Elisha. The words of Jesus are simple but very specific. He says things like, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Jesus asked. But like the pride-filled Naaman, the world, the world may want us Christian people to say and do what they demand. And they might expect us to come out and wave our hands in a certain way to encourage them to go to the river of their choosing. They expect us to validate their list of options. Instead of bowing to a world of options, we must stand for the specific message of God that saves people by repentance, by water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I want to present to you today here at Grace Church there are things in the Bible that are not optional. You can say what you want, think what you want. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's not optional. Come on, somebody. I mean, that's it. That's all God gets today is just a little petty hand clap. I think we ought to be excited about the fact that not only is there one God, but we know it. I'll never forget the Christmas card. I believe Brother Dave had it, gave it to somebody one year at Christmas that talked about all the gods of this world, all the uh, gods of the, the, the Middle East and Asia and all of that, and I'm not going to try to go through some long list of all of those, but he said there can only be one true God. Out of all these gods other people worship, there's only one God that resurrected himself from the dead, and that's the one we worship here today. That's the only God. The Bible teaches that very clearly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hallelujah. 
The Bible said there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Hallelujah to God. Paul Paul wrote to Timothy without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. I submit to you today, there is but one God in this world, and his name is Jesus. Another option or another Bible commandment that is not an option is we are to love God. We are to love God. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. One God, believing in one God, is not optional. There's not two. There's not three. There's not a dozen. There's not a hundred. There's one God, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Repentance is not optional. The Bible defines what repentance is. It's coming before God in prayer, asking God to forgive you of your sin, and then you walk away and quit committing those sins. The Bible said, and in times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands that all men everywhere to repent. It's not an option. And I'm happy to present to you today that water baptism is not an option. Peter said unto them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The Holy Ghost is not optional. A lot of people are preaching that. It's just a warm feeling. It's, it's, a, it's on the option list of going to church. You can receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues a little bit here than there. That's not what my Bible teaches. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. If you do not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, how then will you be resurrected at the time of rapture? I'm not here to make it easy. I'm here to help you understand And this is going to be a challenge, Brother Naaman, is uh, loving people is not optional. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You don't get to pick and choose in God's kingdom who you want to love or not. And to 
last week, Naaman's here today. Living holy is not optional. There are a lot of people that teach that and believe that. There's all kind of books out there about it. It's amazing what you'll believe in a book written by somebody you don't even know. When you won't believe what the Bible says and you claim to know him. It's interesting, isn't it? I would rather believe some pastor in Timbuktu somewhere that I've never met. You don't know anything about his church, his family. You don't know nothing about him. But he said something you liked about holiness. And by God, that's the gospel. Oh, and so-and-so wrote. I've been through this with people, by the way. So-and-so wrote. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. And my question is, what does the Bible say? Well, no, but he explained what the Bible meant. And you're going to believe that. It's amazing to me that you believe what people say that you don't know and won't believe people and what they say that you do know. I want you to think about that. I do not have a propensity to lying, especially when it comes to the Bible. But there are people here today that not only choose not to believe me, you don't believe the Bible itself. No, it's not that. It's not that. You live according to your own interpretation. You do that which is right in your own eyes. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. That's Bible. That he might present it, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy. And what we do is take that word holy and we define it ourselves. But you can't do that. You have to define holiness, since God's the one that wrote it. You have to define that word in the context of what he meant by it. And he said, be ye holy, why? When you find out about the holiness of God, there's a whole lot of things that we live in our lives that we wouldn't tolerate anymore if you really knew about the holiness of God. So therefore, we know the things that keep us from living this type of Naaman life, option man life, and we must throw off all the things that hinder us, and that's the Bible says that. Put God first and remove from our lives all the things that lead us to sin. Somebody's whistling, and I know who it is, and I'm going to ask you to stop. Thank you. Um, if we do not have this warning in our lives and live holy and godly lives, and we must seriously question the genuineness of our salvation. We are commanded to be holy and blameless in his sight. The Bible said, accordingly, or according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, So to continue in sin is to live contrary to God. One of the early church fathers says, What a strange kind of salvation do they desire that do not care for holiness. They would be saved by Christ and yet be out of Christ in a fleshly state. To also submit to you that tithing is not optional either. Quitting is not optional. It is a heaven or hell issue. I don't have time to go down that path this morning. 
So bottom line, what we've ended up with as I bring this to a close. God's command. You have God's command and man's four options. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speaking of the children of Israel that they go forward. God's command was clear and unmistakable. Although obedience allowed for only one response from Israel, other options were open to them. They could obey God or they had three other options. The same options are available to us today and with the same consequences. So let's review the four options that were available. The children of Israel could have defied God when they stood at the Red Sea And they could have gone back to Egypt. To have done so would have meant a return to even more grievous bondage. I say people that come out of Egypt and endorse God as God. And then go back to Egypt. Egypt is going to be far worse than it was the first time you were in it. Because you're there and you know better. The Bible said from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus said in response to that, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The children of Israel could have defied God and turned aside. To have done so would have have assured their utter destruction at the hand of Pharaoh's approaching army. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, You shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you, and you shall not turn aside to the right nor to the left. You shall walk in the ways of the Lord, which your Lord God has commanded you, and that you may live, and that you may, that it may uh, be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So they didn't have to turn back to Egypt. They just didn't have to go forward. They could have just stayed right there. They could have turned aside and went into the woods, and Pharaoh would have found them. Number three, the children of Israel could have defied God and just said, we're not going anywhere. We're not going through the Red Sea, and we're not going back to Israel. Either way, they lose. It's a lose-lose. Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. That is if you obey. So Moses firmly believed that God would deliver Israel by his power and that Israel should stand in place before the waters of the Red Sea, God rebuked Moses quite sternly and said, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. I think they could have gone forward and the waters would have parted without a commandment from Moses. Just obey and keep going to your promised land. God will make a way. You don't need permission from somebody else to do it. But to have stood still at that time would have been certain death for the children of Israel. And now there are times when Christians should stand still, but, and we understand that in its context, but consider this. Even when God says to be still, he says to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. The time to stand still is when you're awaiting the command of God, but once the command is given to us, we're simply to obey that commandment. The child of God dares not stand still when God has given him the command to go forward. As you stand with me this morning, their their fourth and final option is what they did. 
They did exactly what God asked them to do, and look what happened. They obeyed, and they went forward. And that was a wise choice because, again, look where it led. I've decided, and I decided a long time ago to the best of my ability, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to obey him. I, he may need to nudge me in the back, kick me in the back, hit me in the head, whatever he needs to do, but I'm going to do my best to follow Jesus. And I, I would to God here today that there's people here today for your sake, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your future. <clears throat> Before you come forward this morning, I want to mention again, and I see Sandy standing here today. I listened to her testimony last Sunday. I mentioned this Wednesday night, and I'll mention it again today in, in conclusion. I sat there watching the tears stream down her face as she went through very difficult and very challenging times in her life being raised by people that perhaps maybe wasn't as Christian in their lifestyle as they, they could have been or should have been and that she's the one that suffered a lot of the consequences of that She said one thing, one good thing that came out of that. What was your stepdad's nickname? Her stepdad's nickname is Bad Habits. That's what everybody called him. Bad Habits. And somehow when Sandy was a, a little girl, Bad Habits brought her to a church where she began her path and her journey to find God in the way that she knows him today. It struck me when I listened to her last Sunday that while she was coming this way, we had people in Grace Church going that way. Bad habits and other people in her family hung out at bar rooms all the time and loved the alcohol, loved the drink and all of that. And there's, she came out of that and says how glorious it is to come out of that and there's people here today that's going to that. You're passing each other somewhere on the big highway of life. Hey, Sandy, where are you coming from? Bars and abuse and neglect and all these horrible things. Well, guess what? I'm going there. That's You're coming from there? Tell me a little bit about it. I'm going there too. And with tears in my eyes last Sunday, it occurred to me that there's going to be children possibly there's going to be children here at Grace Church and when they reach their late teens, early 20s, they're going to sit in a little support group type arrangement. It may be a Sunday school class in the church. It may be somewhere else and they're going to say, you know what? I remember as a kid, my mom and dad used to bring me to church all the time but they wanted it to afford more options and it left me behind reeling in a lifestyle of hurt and disappointment. So I'm going to ask you to look at Jesus today in the way that he meant for you to look at him. Tear the option sticker off the window. Buy the truth and sell it not.
I could stand here and rail on sin for a long time and wish I had time to do it, but there's a lot of things that people in church, Christian people in church, they do things and it's a sin. And the Bible says it's a sin. But for some reason, option people don't think that way. I'm calling you today to be accountable to the Word of God. I'm asking you to come to Jesus today. Repentant, sincere, honest. Because God only knows what tomorrow brings. So as they begin to sing softly, we're going to open up the front of the building. Young folks, y'all come up here and you can pray and you can cry like you always do. I'm just asking some moms and dads to come with you. Make the same kind of commitment. God, with all of my heart, I'll love you. God, with all my heart, I'll give everything to you. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord His way. We're going to serve God His way. Sing. Oh, yes, sing. so that when anyone sees me, they'll know that I'm a child of God, that I've been born again of water and spirit. Somebody talk to Jesus today. Somebody talk to the Lord today. Everybody talk to the Lord today. in my life. God, I want you to be everything in my life. 